Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PM&R from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, learn, and enjoy. I would like to welcome back our listeners to part two of an interview with Dr. Jeffrey Heckman. So Dr. Heckman, welcome to you also, and let's begin where we left off at the end of the first part of the interview. Last time we spoke with you about various topics involving the rehabilitation of patients who have experience in amputation. To what extent are children involved in amputations, and does their care differ in any significant ways compared to the rehabilitation care offered to adults? Well, certainly children are involved in limb deficiency. So either being born without a limb or without part of a limb, there can be a decision that that parents are responsible to make in ensuring that their patient with a deformed limb may have an optimal function, and that may be an elective decision for an amputation. The other way in which uh, children would be involved is primarily through trauma. And then Earlier, I spoke about the the Medicare functional classification level regarding prosthesis prescription. And so children fall into a category called K4, which is the highest level of potential for functional activity. So as you could imagine, following an amputation surgery, a child has unlimited potential of their functional abilities. And so they are able to benefit from the highest level of prosthetic componentry to return to those functional activities. Once a limb is amputated, for example, a lower limb removal, are any neighboring parts of the body, such as back muscles, at risk for deterioration in ways that create a need to also provide care for those bodily areas? Absolutely. And, and, and this becomes what we refer to as secondary disabilities. So as a result of the amputation, if it's a lower extremity amputation, the contralateral or the opposite limb has a higher likelihood of developing conditions such as osteoarthritis of the knee and of the hip. And we do see a higher probability of low back pain in our patients with lower extremity amputations. As well as if we think about our upper extremity amputation patients, whether or not they use a prosthesis is going to impact body symmetry, body image, And so in the upper extremity population, we think about neck pain and shoulder pain as a result of the amputation. During the introduction, I mentioned that one of your research interests involves phantom limb pain. If an amputee experiences sensations in a phantom limb, such as pain, what can be done to provide relief for these individuals? So phantom sensation and and phantom limb pain are extremely interesting topics. It has been documented that 100% of patients following an amputation will experience a phantom sensation. Fortunately, only about half of these experience discomfort or what they would describe as as phantom limb pain. And only about 10% really experience debilitating phantom limb pain. So the natural course for phantom limb pain following a surgery is it becomes less severe and less frequent over time to a point where Many years following an amputation, someone may describe 
once per year, they'll get a, a quick jolt of pain in that amputated limb and it'll go away and it, and it won't happen again for another year. For patients that are suffering from debilitating phantom limb pain, there, there are both rehabilitation modalities as well as medications, interventions, and sometimes even surgeries that can help to alleviate or attempt to alleviate their phantom limb pain. So things like, like mirror therapy have been shown. There's a, a classic article in the New England Journal of Medicine that demonstrates phantom limb pain and medications such as anticonvulsants. So gabapentin is a common first-line medication used for phantom limb pain. There are times when nerves that remain back in the, in the limb following the amputation can be a nidus or a potential cause of pain that is, that is radiating beyond where the, the limb was amputated. And so sometimes an aroma resection or an injection into an aroma with medication can help to alleviate some of those symptoms. Please describe the merotherapy and how that is carried out. So mirror therapy is primarily trained in physical therapy. A patient will line up a mirror in order to have that mirror image of their intact limb to replace the, the visual image of where their amputated limb is. So what the patient will do is they'll look at the mirror and then they'll perform tasks with their intact limb and try to visualize that that is occurring in their phantom limb. And the goal is to try to, try to begin to control that phantom limb and allow the brain to reorganize. We've learned a lot about neuroplasticity through Dr. Ramachandran's work on mirror therapy. And it's, it's really a, a dedicated program where you're performing mirror therapy with exercises for 15 to 20 minutes every day for up to eight weeks. So it, it's really a commitment. It's not just a, a one time you look in the mirror and then you, you put the mirror away. It really is an everyday commitment to this training and therapy. One of the things that, that we've looked at is, is an augmented reality mirror where you sit in front of a, a Microsoft Connect camera and you're able to, using the technology, mirror the image of one of your limbs. And on the screen, you have both of your limbs and you're controlling them in a similar way that you do in mirror therapy. It all sounds quite fascinating. Some innovations in healthcare can take several years before widespread adoption occurs. In your area of practice, how successful have efforts been to achieve the translation of clinical findings and evidence-based research to the bedside in a timely manner? So I think you're absolutely right. The focus of translational research is to try to make this as efficient as possible and make sure that the bench studies or, or the research that's occurring is really going to drive the standard of care and, and what's happening in the clinic. And so we've been very fortunate being involved in some research projects and then also in some process improvement projects that have really looked at the efficiencies of our practice and what we're able to provide for, for veterans with limb loss. So we're currently involved in a program that we're attempting to roll out system-wide throughout the VA that will allow us to follow a prosthesis prescription throughout the process. So we have multiple steps in authorizing a, a prosthesis prescription. And so being able to provide the patient with the information of where their prescription is at in the process, and then being able to get them back into clinic in order to provide the highest quality of care to ensure what we prescribed 
is what they received and that they're receiving quality care both within the VA and outside of the VA with our community partners. Along with what you just described, what are some possible emerging areas that you see down the road? One of the other projects that we're involved with is involving our upper extremity patients and really understanding what their abilities are in order to then guide what we prescribe for patients. As I mentioned earlier, in, in many cases, we're, we're taking information from our interview, we're understanding a patient's functional goals, and then we're projecting or we're trying to identify the potential, and then we're prescribing a device really unsure of what the, what the outcome may eventually be. And so this study, which is a, a multi-center trial led by Linda Resnick in Providence, Rhode Island, is really going to give us the largest database to date of abilities of patients with upper extremity amputation utilizing prosthetic devices. And not just the externally powered devices, but also body powered devices and uh, passive devices that we can really understand at each level what is going to be the device that is going to provide the patient with the highest functional outcome. A greater focus is being placed on patient reported outcomes as evidenced by the creation of the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, known as PCORI, under the Affordable Care Act. How do you view the importance of patient involvement in medical decision-making and in any related aspects of their care? Well, I think that this is what really drew me to, to VA care and, and being able to provide the highest quality of care to our veterans with limb loss. We utilize a self-reported functional mobility outcome measure uh, that's referred to as the PLUS-M. It's the Prosthetic Limb Users Survey for Mobility. And it was developed right here at the University of Washington. And it, it allows patients to tell us in a, in a well-organized way how they feel they're doing with their functional mobility. So we can, we can evaluate them. We can understand what we're seeing in, in our physical exam and during our clinic. But this outcome measure really gives us a lot of information about how they feel they're doing. And that allows us to kind of track over time what the impact of our clinical care is having on their functional mobility. And, and our clinic really focuses on functional mobility and quality of life. So at VA, the veteran is the center of their care. And so the importance of involving our veterans in their care can't be understated. A key facet of health care would seem to be the patient's resilience and having a positive willingness to want to participate actively in all aspects of rehabilitation aimed at improving their life's quality. So could you elaborate on that a little bit about the patient perspective or did you think you just answered that? kind of interested in their resilience and they're willing to keep going with this whole journey that you mentioned earlier and just having that positive willingness to, to keep at this thing to achieve the best possible outcome. Yeah, and, and I think it's, you know, it, approaching the patient on a personal level becomes, becomes a very important and, and critical factor that we're not separate from the patient as the medical providers, but we're all part of the same team trying to achieve the same goals. And so I think by providing care in a way that a patient can interpret as personalized and, and individualized to them and really essentially having their back and, and feeling comfortable to, to share different experiences and, and difficulties that they're having, 
whether they be positive experiences or negative experiences, making sure that, that we have that deep connection, I think gives patients the ability to, to be more resilient and it allows them to, to share in a way that gives me as a provider the ability to tailor their care. I mentioned earlier how the physiatrist really kind of serves as that point guard or as a quarterback to be able to know each of the team members' roles. So if you understand what the patient is going through as, as a rehabilitation provider, we can really allow them to connect with the most appropriate allied health professional, giving them the best opportunity for a positive outcome. Well, thank you for elaborating on that question. Cost, availability, and transportation problems are among the factors that can contribute to the difficulty of obtaining in-clinic rehabilitation services. What role do you see for in-home telehealth therapy programs, telemedicine, however it's described, in addressing that kind of a situation? So this is an extremely exciting area for me. You may know that the Department of Veterans Affairs recently passed a new rule that goes into effect on June 11th, 2018. Uh, which will allow VA providers who are credentialed and privileged at VA facilities to care for veterans who are registered in VA anywhere. So it crosses state lines. It allows us to provide the highest quality of care to patients wherever they are. So at this point, we have technology that is going to allow us to get into a patient's home, that's going to allow us to expand our team outside of the VA. So now our patients who choose to go into the community to get their prosthetic limb care, I'm able to ping into their visit via telehealth. We're able to follow through with physical therapy and all of these different aspects of someone's rehabilitation care utilizing telehealth technology. And I, I mentioned the importance of, of connecting with patients, and, and I think this technology and the new rule are really going to enable us and empower VA providers to do even more to connect with our patients. Apart from that particular technology, please describe any ways in which rehabilitation services might benefit from leveraging existing and emerging kinds of social media platforms and using different modalities such as apps, wearable devices, and perhaps even virtual reality technology. Yeah, so I think social media certainly has a role for peer support. I've always been, been interested in, in ways in which we can provide information, provide education and counseling to patients using the internet, using social media, in order to make folks aware that they're not alone in this process. We talked earlier about depression and suicidality and how difficult the loss of a limb, and it truly is a loss, and providing patients with the opportunity to mourn that loss and to understand that they're not alone. I think social media and I, I think the internet could really have a valuable impact there. I think from a virtual reality standpoint, I'm really interested in finding out how this may be able to be leveraged. I think certainly we mentioned earlier about things like targeted muscle reinnervation and, and training our patients with upper extremity limb loss. I think virtual reality could potentially play a role in that training for the upper extremity to return that intuitive control of these prosthetic limb devices with things like targeted muscle reinnervation and technologies like pattern recognition software. 
and how all of that is going to is going to play into some of these externally powered upper extremity prosthetic devices. So really excited to see the future of, of social media, of apps and uh, virtual reality technology for this patient population. As you look further down the road, what do you see are any major challenges facing the profession of physical medicine and rehabilitation? I think certainly recognizing how, how physical medicine and rehabilitation providers are leaders and, and can lead teams and groups of people in order to uh, optimize patient outcomes. I think it's a relatively young field if you think of going back to the 1940s with Howard Rusk, Henry Kessler, and, and others. So really getting to that front line and allowing our colleagues in, in some of the surgical fields and some of the medical subspecialties to really understand the, the leadership capabilities of many of our physiatrists in the field and just being able to be at the table and have these important discussions about patient care, specifically for, for amputation when it comes to the most appropriate surgical level, thinking about the functional impacts of all surgeries, not, not just the, the major amputations like we've discussed today, the below the knee and above the knee amputations, but thinking about different partial foot amputations and how do we ensure that we're making the best decisions for all of our patients and, and being involved in discussions with our podiatry colleagues and with our vascular surgery and, and orthopedic surgery colleagues. So I think it's making sure that we're at the table and, and we're part of those discussions and we're able to demonstrate our, our leadership abilities, and effective communication skills. Dr. Heckman, I'm going to conclude part two of this interview by thanking you for sharing your insights with our listeners about several important topics pertaining to the care of the amputees and also the overall and larger picture of rehabilitation. It has been both an honor and a pleasure to have this discussion with you today, and I wish you continued success in all your endeavors. Again, thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rusk at nyulangone.org slash Rusk. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rusk Podcast.